Welcome to the Deeper Life Bible Study, coming to you from Identity Church in Deltona, Florida. Now let us hear the expounding of the Word of God, a now word for this moment. So grab your Bible, sit back as we delve into the Word of God, and hear the Logos and Rhema Word. Three, four different times I made a note about this psalm. So, the most recent was in 18. Learn to live with God in the first place. Contrast God the ways versus your ways. It also says what he won't do. He won't defend the wicked. Meditate on I am. Day and night, get the true revelation of light. God pictured as a tree, and the wicked are the dust in the wind, or the chaff, or you're the chaff with the dust in the wind, really. God will not defend the wicked on the day of judgment, so contrast the wicked and the righteous, the Lord embraces their path. This, this psalm is like a Christian's guide. Uh... It's interesting that um, you can contrast verse 1 1 with Psalm 32 1. The man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, and then 32 1 says, He whose transgression is forgiven. Both are in a state of blessedness, a condition of comfort and security. And apparently on September 12, 2006, so was I, because I wrote, I am here now. Interesting. This is from my journal. Uh, this psalm has many New Testament references in it. Seed of the scoffer, tree planted by streams of water, stand in judgment, assembly of the righteous. And it reveals, it starts to reveal, like in the very beginning of the book, the character of Christ. And later on, actually before then, in 02, I wrote, he is like a tree planted. Who is the he in this verse? Now, we do know it's God, but it could also be us. We're told to be planted firmly with deep roots. In 2010, I wrote, I don't always live life in the first three verses of this psalm. But when I do... It is a powerful, wonderful, and blessed place. All the time I have spent there is stored up inside of me. I can draw from it when I need to and give my fruit to others as needed. And um, I just thought that would be a good way to start out. An overview of the Psalms. There's a lot of details here. A lot of details. The Hebrew, calls, the Hebrew Bible calls it the Tehillim. In the Greek, Septuagint is called the Psalmoi. Tehillim means songs of praise. Psalmoi is actually a verb. It means plucking of strings with fingers. So it kind of gives you the indication that this is a worship book, a song book. Psalms equals worship and praise. They are man's response to God. The Psalms reveal man's raw spiritual emotions. Psalms are prayers. Let's look at 70, Psalm 72, 20, Diana. 
I know I didn't give you a lot of time. The prayer of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So that's kind of like right there in your face. The prayers of David. So that ends a whole section of the Psalms. In the New Testament, there are 293 Old Testament quotes. Would you like the list? That's my joke with Charlie, sorry. 116 of these are from, huh? I don't have it. 116 of these are from the Psalms. So there's some Hebrew words that are in the Psalms that go past the translation. So there's the Higion. I think that's how you say it. It's meditation. There's the Salah that we're going to talk about tonight, which at least means to pause and lift up. I'm going to kind of show you it has some other meanings. Others is the Meskil, which is a, I love it when I'm going to read something and, it, and the words in it, I got to figure out what they mean. Contemplative or didactic, whatever that means. Intended to instruct or morally instructive or skillful. Well, that a little easier to understand than just saying contemplative and didactive. Uh, a mictum, it's an atonement psalm. A sheol is the netherworld. There's 150 psalms. Who wrote them? David wrote 73. Asaph wrote 12. This guy's the son of Korah wrote 12. Two of them were attributed to Solomon. One to Moses, and one to some guy named Ethan. And no, I don't know who Ethan is. For, huh? His friend's down. Um, 49 are synonymous, are anonymous, excuse me. And some Jewish scholars believe that if the author is not named, then it is the same author as the last one before it that was named. There's also a tradition in the New Testament where, especially Jesus, if he quoted a psalm, and he quoted the beginning of the psalm. He's quoting the whole psalm. That's tradition. There's different categories of psalms. There's messianic, that reflect Jesus. There's liturgical. There's penitential, which are repentive or for penance. There's historical psalms, that for the most part are pretty boring. Um, if you got stuck with those on one of your days that you were reading the psalms, you'd want to get to the next one. Praise, and there's alphabetical psalms, where each paragraph is an alpha, is a, begins with a, a letter of an, a word with a letter of the, of the Jewish alphabet. There's prayers of righteousness. Let's take a minute and look at the middle verse of the whole Bible. Psalm 118.8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Yeah, he's got a plan. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Psalms and in the Bible, contains 176 verses. It'll take you a while. You might as well call it 24 different Psalms. It's one of those alphabetical ones, too. So there's actually five books arranged in the Psalms. Psalms 1 through 41 are book 1. Psalms 42 through 72 are book 2. And Psalms 73 through 89 are book 3. Book 4 is 90 through 106. And book 5 is 105 through 100, excuse me, 107 through 150. I just think it's good to know 
like in an overview sense, what you're looking at. There's a lot here. And, you know, like they say Isaiah is the book that represents the whole Bible. In some ways, the Psalms represent the whole Bible. You know, I mean, they got, you know, and you think about it too, just like Isaiah wrote about Jesus, how many hundreds or thousand years before he walked the earth, David wrote Messianic Psalms about Jesus that are accurate to the word. Um, it's really amazing to get, to get in there and not just have it be, and if you grew up in a mainline Protestant denominational church at all, you read Psalms in a, in a, like a liturgy. And if you were like me and you were a kid, you didn't even maybe know you were reading scripture. You just thought you were reading number 104 out of the hymnal. Um, so there really are a deep, a deep part of our faith. And I think considering especially that we're a prophetic church and worship is such a strong part of who we are and at Identity Church, it definitely is something that if you spend time in, it's going to deepen your walk. And it's, to me, it's kind of like, I don't know what to read today. I'm going to go to Psalms. I don't know what to do today, and I have more time. I'll read a proverb. But if you just need your quick, I don't I hate to say quick fix, but if you just don't have a lot of time and you need to get in the Word, go to Psalms. It'll speak to you. There you go. Yeah, there's several places you can go for that. Mostly in the Psalms, there, there are a few Psalms that will spank you, but most of them will encourage you. So what's this thing called the Salah? So... I did this teaching several years ago in, in kingdom school, so I'm, I'm cheating tonight. I'm pulling up something old, and I think the only ones in the room that were there are Charlie, Gary, and Kathy, so I'm not on too bad a ground here. Um, kind of went on this journey to, to learn more about the Salah. If you read about it, were you there? You were? Okay. I didn't know if you were in the class that day. Um, the Salah... Some, some people say it's a musical annotation. There's probably some truth to that. Um, the, the, the authors that used it, there's only two authors. I'm getting away from my notes here. But there's only like two or three authors that didn't use it. Moses didn't use it and Solomon didn't use it. And they say that's probably because all of the rest of the writers of Psalms were contemporaries. So it's definitely a Hebrew word that was used in their time. It wasn't used in the time of Moses, and at least it wasn't familiar to Solomon, or he didn't feel like he needed to use it. Um, I think it's more than a musical term. So what happens in a psalm when the Salah is used? This was like a key thing for me when I started studying this, to try and grasp the meaning of God's word. What happens in a psalm when Salah is used? Of course, in order to discover anything at all, one has to explore and drill down into the channels that exist. And so I opened up my Bible to Psalm 3. We're going to read through this. Okay, It's not a very long psalm. It's got eight, it's got eight verses. So verse 1. A psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, 
God will not deliver him. Salah. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Salah. I lie down and sleep. I wake and again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Salah. So, let's look back at the first one. The verse before, David's kind of like, woe is me. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? They're going to kick my butt. And then it's like, Salah. Yeah. Or it's kind of like, if you're ba- I thought of this one. If you're a basketball player, it's when you do that pivot move and you get around a guy. You change your position. So what happens after the Salah? He totally changes his attitude. So before the Salah, he's like worried and scared, right? Immediately. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head on high. So then we have another Salah, a sentence later. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. So in five verses, we went from being scared to death, kind of, to I know where all my safety comes from, to sleeping like a baby. Then we tell the Lord, we're not going to fear anymore. Through tens of thousands to sail me on every side. So he still got that first look at things. And he says, arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. Salah. So he ends it with the same. So maybe at the end, he's trying to get you to think of what comes next. The one that's at the end of verse 8 is what they call a closing salah. This salah function only happens four times out of the 74 uses of the salah in the Bible. But what do you see happen? We talked about this. What happens after verse 2? What happens after the closing salah? What I just said. I guess that's up to you and me. What do we do with what we received? Do we live in the first part? Do we recognize the second part? Or do we rest in the third? That's a good example of how it functions in general. So now I want to take a look at um, Psalm 46. Seventy-four. It's used three times outside of the book of Psalms. Yes. Yes. It's a pause. 
It is a pause. And, and you would, like, you're supposed, like, if you're reading it, you're supposed to pause. Take the break. Let's sit in God's presence. Yeah. Take the pause. Exactly. Don't just read it like, hallelujah, and go on to the next word or something. No, it has a, it has an action to it. That action is actually to sit or to sit in God's presence. On an act. That's good. Um, so there's three times it's used in the book of Habakkuk. I didn't really study those out, but there's used three times in the book of Habakkuk, and then it's used 71 times in the book of Psalms. Um, and then I've got a handout. I only brought five copies of the handout about this teaching, but there's a list of all of those passages that have the Salah on them. So we can divvy those up, and if somebody else wants an extra copy, and I can get it to them, or I can email it to you. Um, yes, it's the same usage, but it's in Habakkuk, and, why, and I didn't really go there. I can... I can take a look at that for next week and give you a little update on that because I, at the time I was focused on the Psalms. But I can take a look at that. You know, the interesting thing is, okay, who's the author of Habakkuk? It's the Habakkuk, right? I think. So he's a minor prophet. So one of the things I would look at, he must be a contemporary. He's got to be in that same time frame or he wouldn't have used the word because it wouldn't have been a word, you know. Anyways, so... We'll take a look at that, and I'll bring that. I'll talk about that in the beginning next week. That's good, Gary. So, Psalm forty-six is another one that has. So this has eleven verses. It has three salahs in it. It does have an ending salah again. So let's just read through it. I think I'll stop. Since now you know what it is, we're gonna we're gonna do what it said. We're gonna stop when we get to it, and then we're gonna say. What and then we'll read the next sentence. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, well, what happened? And at, what was the transition? So, for the director of music, it says, of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, whoever that is, a song, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, he will, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Let's go back to the first one. Because the first one is answered in that sentence immediately afterwards. This actually is a second thought. So, we start out in the first one, we're talking about water. Mountains fall into the heart of the sea. God is our refuge and strength, ever have a present help in time of trouble, so we won't be scared or fear, though 
the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountain quakes where there are surging, Salah. So water is the threat before the Salah. What is the water after the Salah? It's, it's refreshing. It's peace. The river, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So it, it, it flips it. It went from something that was bringing fear to something that's bringing comfort. Something that was taking away strength to something that's giving strength. So then it's another thought. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at a break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. So here's the pivot. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on earth. So it isn't always a good flip. Because here he took us from being in a place of safety in his fortress, which, by the way, is where? It's in his kingdom. So we're safe within God's kingdom. But look what he did on the earth. Now, this is all Old Testament here. But this, I also believe, is kind of referencing the day of the Lord. Um, so now we leave that thought, and we go to, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. So he's taken away the weapons of war. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. It's the same. Verses 7 and 11 are the same. So the answer to both of those issues is that God is our fortress. So, they call this a closing Salah at the end, and they call it a transformational Salah in the middle. In addition, we use the repeated phrase, or refrain Salah. This type of Salah is used eight times in the 74 occurrences. I, I got into percentages. Ten, not, who cares? 10.8% of the time. Must have been on a numbers roll that day. For me, the refrain in verse 7 and 11 are very interesting. So often we focus on verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. There's actually songs with those as lyrics. And yet the Salah verse is actually more important in the sense that it is the thought that God wants us to internalize. Yes, being still before our exalted God is crucially important but what a transformation of our heart takes place if we look closely at the Salah verse after that. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Isn't that really what God wants us to know and appreciate? Who can truly succeed in life without God? Whose religion is truly spiritual without having God with them? And what energizes our faith, more than, our faith more than knowing God is with us as we do his will? The Selah puts our focus on the things God wants us to think about. Even without knowing the meaning of the word or what happened with the music, it is clear that the Salah was used 
with the intention by God and his inspired psalmist. The passages following Salah display a change of direction in the heart of singing prophet. It is very difficult to know for sure in all cases if the Salah thought is just the one verse noted with the Salah or all or part of the paragraph in front of it. We saw that in 46. It was a separate thought. And yet, what does it matter? The Lord put it there in the heart of the psalm to note Salah and then continue with a new, deeper, refreshed thought. It is as though after a Salah, the writer grasped a renewed direction, sometimes increased faith, stronger in, in feelings, deeper appreciation of one of God's splendorous attributes, a widened lament. It, you know, it could have gone deeper, deeper into what was bothering him. It also inspired action. It told you what to do to get out of the situation that you were in. So take and look at the 74 passages that have the Salah and draw your own conclusion about what it is you're supposed to do afterwards. That's my advice. And then like my buddy said here, what are we supposed to do when that happens? We'll sit there for a minute. Don't just rush on to the next sentence. Try to get in ahead of the person who wrote it. You know, David isn't scared of much. But David was scared. But he immediately knew who his comforter was and who, where his strength came from. He always knew who his comforter was and where his strength came from. I just think sometimes, like us, he forgot it. He, he let, it, let it slip from his mind. Yeah, he was. So I've got like a 10-page list of all of these, not 10 pages, but there's plenty of them, all these psalms that have them. But then there's those Habakkuks, and since we're only at 737, why don't we look at those Habakkuk verses? You going to free wheel with me, Diana? They're all in chapter 3. So since I really have no clue where in the Old Testament Habakkuk is, Oh, my favorite book. That's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Nahum 3.14. That's one of my favorite Old Testament verses. Habakkuk. It's on page 1008, everybody. Where is it? Chapter 3, verses 3, 9, and 13. Oh yeah, I'm holding We're, we're off the, the notes now. We're in Gary land. This either makes this a really great Bible study or it's going to make it flop. One or the other. All right, so we now know we can't just read the verse that has it in it, right? You okay? Let it go next time, man. Why don't you blow your head off? Chapter 3 has got 19 verses, so I don't know if we want to read like all of them. Let me look here for a second. Give me a sec. So let's just read verse 3. God came from Taman, Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. That's interesting. Just that. That's two people of the Trinity. God came from one. So God, let's assume God is Jehovah, God the Father. 
God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Salah. Yeah, and they're not the same place. So the Holy Spirit came from one place, and the Father from another. His, but now, Salah, they're one. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. That's Trinity without Jesus. That's pretty cool. All right, so the pivot is God went from being two parts to being back to one. Keep reading. All right. Yeah, according to Shigianoth, that's a person. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you. Okay. So here it's definitely saying it's a musical in that in that version. It's I mean it's this is so this is a musical thing, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. Because it is part of the musical That's true. And there's three of them in this in this chapter. Yes, Gary, you have your hand up. Mm-hmm. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Sure. He hides it there. He revealed it from them, so he had it hidden beforehand. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. Who measured the earth? Jesus did in the book of Revelation. Right? So let's drop down... Let's just keep reading. That's verse 6. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Salah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and rithed. So we don't really have a change of direction in this one. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. So now we start to have a transition. 
The sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Salah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Who's me? Means Habakkuk. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear my body tremble, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. So now he's talking about himself here. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And then there's three more verses that are the rejoicing in the Lord. So, the Salah here is not exactly like it is in the Psalms. It's not a pivot necessarily to a new idea. What I think is interesting is you have a trinity in that whole prayer. There's talk of, it starts out with God and the Holy Spirit, Father and the Holy Spirit, and then there's, there's glimpses of Jesus throughout the rest of it. There's more glimpses, of, there's more Jesus in that passage than there is Father and Holy Spirit. Hmm. Interesting. So let's see what this little cheat sheet says. Heart transformation or topic change following the Salah. It says yes for the first two and no for the third. It says the third one, the Salah, shows God's smiting of Israel's enemies. The first one shows the glory described following the Salah. The, third, the second one is God's anger splits rivers. So, it may, it may have been a music, more of a musical thing in this, work, in this area, but it still does some of what it does in the Psalms. Interesting. Any other questions? Well, I think I'm about done for tonight. Um, next week, we're going to take a look at the psalms that are used in the book of Revelation. So there's certain psalms that were spoke in Revelation. I'm going to look at that and see what's, what's the significance. And um, the following week we're going to do, there's a group of psalms that are kind of like location and time oriented from David's life. And I can show you where in First or Second Samuel David was when he wrote those psalms. So you can kind of get the context of what he did. We don't have to necessarily read every psalm. It's more about, here's where he was. This is what he wrote about. What was it like? How did it, and I, I'm, I've studied all of those. It's a little, here's my, 
here's where's my notes. My starting notes are this little piece of paper like this that I cut out of the out of the bottom of a page of Worship Leader magazine one time, and it's a bookmark in my Bible, and I use it. I've used it. I've I've studied it all. I've never took any notes. I've read them all. Um, that would be a good one to do because it helps. It's kind of good to connect who he, where he was when he was writing this stuff down. Um, and then uh, the last week, I want, so that third week, I want you guys to give me maybe a couple, not the 119th, but like three favorite Psalms. And then that fourth week, we're going to break those, we're going to look at those. So that'll give me something to do. That third week. So. Is this... Yeah, so be, I mean, and I know everybody loves certain psalms, but some of you have some odd favorites. Charlie's dad's favorite psalm is the 57th psalm, right? 37th, okay. Everybody likes the 91st psalm. No, you don't like the 91st psalm? I'm, no, Nessie's shaking her head in the back of the room. Most people have a love-hate relationship with the 23rd Psalm because you were forced to learn it and it's always read at sad places. You know, it's read at funerals. Um, for me, the 91st Psalm, that was like the first time in my walk I understood what warfare was. Uh, me and a cousin prayed that around my 80-something-year-old grandfather for around 24 days, 24 hours, while he was stuck in a hospital bed and we were waiting for his kids to get to Florida to decide what to do with him. And he lived through the experience and went on to live another, I don't know, 10, 12 years. But I, I never, I mean, I knew what that psalm was, but I had never really used that. We wielded that psalm like I did on that day. Um, so that's what I've got for you. I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you. Thank you for tuning into today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to IdentityChurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages, read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.